Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill building courses for you to choose from because the steps that you choose to take today will help you to love what you do in the future. And that's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we are answering your listener questions. Nobody. This is a listener question Monday episode where we've got five fantastic questions to get to. And dude, normally we mention the beer that we're going to enjoy here uh, in a minute or and we talk about it a little bit more at the end of the episode. But I just took a sip. This is uh, this is going to be a good beer. High quality. But we've got an Ask How to Money episode lined up for you today. We've got five excellent questions. A listener, she is wondering if the Upside app if it is legit and whether or not she should be using it. Another listener is has been able to save some money utilizing a high deductible healthcare plan to cover some of those medical costs. But he's switching jobs and wants to know if it makes sense, uh, if it continues to make sense moving forward for him. And another listener, he's uh, wondering whether he, whether or not he should be listening to his mom. She's got some <laughs> financial advice for him, in particular when it comes to housing. So, yeah, we've got those three questions plus My a advice, couple others today. Hang up. Hang up the phone. Don't, don't listen to her. <laughs> no, no, man. I'll, always respect your mother. Always respect your mom. But doesn't mean you got to, like, do what she says, especially if, like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Well, so we'll get into especially that. Especially if you're a grown man. Right. right. Uh, but, all right. Real, Show some respect for, for all the mothers. No, there, of course Joel. I do. Okay. And my own mom as well. But uh, I wanted to quickly mention, Matt, before we get to listener questions, one of my friends, he texted me as... Some of my friends are prone to do with a personal finance question, and he was wondering about how to get the most money possible for a car that he's selling. So his in-laws gifted he and his wife a, a car, which was pretty sweet. Ooh, I don't know, it was like a, a nice gift. an older car still, but I think it only had like 70,000 miles on it, so that's a pretty nice gift to receive. But he has- I don't care. How old the car is? If it's only got seventy thousand miles on it, that means it's got like ten years left of use. Yes. in my my book, still a baby, <laughs> still a baby, right? And so he has uh, had like a Honda Accord, I think, with like one hundred eighty thousand miles, which still also still a baby. Yeah, <laughs> as a Honda has lots of life left in it too. But yeah, he's like, you're, we don't. You're only halfway through the uh, the use cycle of that right. vehicle, but they don't need both cars. And so okay. the idea is, and now's not a bad time to sell a used car because they're a one one car family. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Or, or maybe. He doesn't need both two cars. Right. Yeah. Either way, I forget if they're a one car or two car family, but he's like, all right, I got to sell this. I want to get top dollar. How do I do it? And so I kind of talked through a few things. I said, one of the things you should consider at least get a quote from Carvana, go on their site and you can, because that's actually how I sold my Nissan Leaf back in the day. They offered me just as much money as I could get doing a private sale. But I think Carvana has realized that method is not working out terribly well for them, overpaying for used cars. And so he came back, based on KBB value, kind of looking up the value online, this car is worth somewhere in the 4500 to $5,500 range. All right. And Carvana said, hey, man, we'll give you 300 bucks. So... <laughs> So like, way 300. off. 300? Yeah. 
Are you sure he wasn't like missing a zero? Nope. Almost like a slap in the face. It's almost as if there's a programming error. Uh-huh. That is ridiculous. He literally sent me a screenshot. <laughs> and I was like, wow, blown away. That is not what I was expecting you to say. Yeah. 300 bucks. So just want to let people kind know. Kind of a low offer, Carvana. <laughs> right. Not going to lie. But I think a lot of people think that this is going to be the easiest way. They either want to trade in, like that seems like the easiest way to sell your car, or they want to sell it to one of these services like CarMax or Carvana. And it's not that that's always a bad idea. And like I said, I kind of got lucky, I guess. But I don't think they're paying out nearly as much as you can get on you know, doing a private sale. And that's actually what KBB says when you look up the value online as well. They say, hey, it's probably worth 3500 if you trade it in, but it's probably worth five grand if you sell it to a private party yourself. Yeah. And I know it's additional work, but when you're talking about keeping that much money in your pocket, I, I think it's worth the additional work for most people. So just kind of putting that out there, letting you know, hey, maybe the yeah. dy- dynamics have changed in the used car market. Maybe some of these websites, uh, some of these services that would have paid you more a year ago, six months ago even, they are looking to increase their profit margin and they don't want to pay you as much for that car. And it might be easier, but it's going to be less lucrative for you at the same time. That's right. And I mean, it is worth uh, punching your information in there and at least getting a data point. Why not? And so we're all about you arming yourself with as much data as possible. But yeah, especially if you see... uh an offer in the three-digit range, right. you might want to <laughs> run away. <laughs> certainly look elsewhere. Uh, the beer that we're going to in, uh, enjoy during this episode, Joel, is called So Happens It's Tuesday. But it's really Monday, Matt. Although, I bet a lot of folks listen to the Monday episodes One day to late. on Tuesday, yeah. perhaps. Mondays get busy, but this is a beer by The Brewery. We've had multiple beers by these guys before. Looking forward to enjoying this one. Sharing our thoughts at the end of the episode. Yeah, they spell their name fancily. B-R-U-E-R-Y. With a U, yeah. not The Brewery. But the, this beer has uh, been around for a lot of years now, and they make good stuff. So, yeah, we'll talk about this beer at the end of the episode. But for now, let's get on to listener questions. And if you've got a question, we'd love to take it on an upcoming Ask HTML episode, just go to howtomoney.com slash ask for the simple directions so that you can submit your voice memo and hopefully we can take it in a couple weeks. But Matt, let's get to the the first question for this episode. This one is about listening to your mom for personal finance advice, whether it makes sense. Hi, fellas. My name's Tony and I'm from a town called Tappahannock. I'm a single 30-year-old and I'm doing pretty well financially. I max out my 401k and Roth IRA every year. I save $500 each month in an after-tax brokerage. And currently, I am replenishing my uh, emergency fund because I had 12 months, but I took it down to three months to take advantage of the nearly 30% drop in the market last year. So I'm building that back up to 12 months. Last year, I built my first home, and I currently have a 2.9% mortgage. It's my only debt, and I plan to live in this home for the foreseeable future as my monthly costs, including utilities, is just shy of 1200 bucks. My mom has been telling me that I should always look to upgrade my home because my home is an investment. She says that once the value increases, I should sell it to fund a larger home while using the equity as a down payment to keep my monthly mortgage payments the same or just a little bit increased. I've argued that with bigger homes come bigger costs, like not just the mortgage, but property taxes, utilities, and furnishing, and all other kinds of costs. However, she argues that the increase in home value will outweigh these costs. I think this is all poppycock. Now, normally I would ignore advice from people who haven't walked the walk, but my mom is a multimillionaire who is 52 and retired. And additionally, she puts this in my head whenever we talk about money, so I'm finding it hard to discard what she says easily. Now, I hate moving, and I feel confident in my heavy saving strategy. According to my spreadsheets, I save and invest 58% of my total income and spend the rest on necessities and stupid stuff that I value. I do feel like my aversion to uh, moving is creating maybe a bias in my mind, but I think my strategy of saving and letting compound interest work for me will not only be easier, but also will be more lucrative over the next 20 to 35 years. So my question is, is there merit to this idea that she has, or has she just been fortunate with her strategy? Thanks. Love the show. Hope to hear what you guys say. So, Tony, there's like a kernel of truth. Uh, You're asking if there's merit to your mother's advice here. Uh, There's a little bit. We will get to how that is. Uh, But ultimately, we just want you to stop listening to your mom. (laughs) Um, we're just, just cover your ears and go la 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 every, t- every really time she talks to you about this. Do want you to not only listen to your mother when she offers you advice, like you, you're offering her respect, not just because she has walked the walk and she has seen financial success, but just because she's your mom. She brought you into the world, absolutely, and she could take you out if you don't <laughs> listen to her. Uh, but Tony, holy 
dude, you are crushing it. You just kind of talk through all the different things that you are doing with your money. Uh, you're not just socking away a massive chunk of your pay. You said, I think, 58%? Yeah. Uh, where you're maxing out your tax-advantaged accounts. Uh, but you're also setting aside extra money to invest. Not only that, you're being flexible. You're taking advantage of what's happening around you in order to, to boost your financial progress toward future financial security. Man, you are crushing it. I like where your head's at. And not only, like he was talking about how he's got like a 12, normally he's got a 12 months of living expenses set aside uh, for his emergency fund. Totally crushing it. Yeah. Uh, for, just keep up the good work. Whatever you are doing, uh, I think were you to just continue doing that, you're going to be ahead of like 99.5% right. of all people in the entire world. I probably. feel like if one of us like kicks the bucket, Matt, Tony's Maybe Tony's show us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think we'd get along, Tony, and I think you'd give good advice. But let's... let's and I like his use of... He said poppycock. <laughs> yeah. You got to use fun words too. That's part of podcasting, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, let, let's talk about the housing conundrum that Tony kind of faces in this advice that his mom, mom has given him. And you're right, there is like a kernel of truth there, but we're not willing to go nearly as far as Tony's mom has gone in in her advice. And it, it does sound like, though, and I think, Matt, you're right to mention kind of how we should respect our, our parents. And, and one of the things I think Tony has inherited is these ninja-like financial skills from his mom, right? So They got it from somewhere. They do it a Sounds little like differently. Mom. But yeah, his mom <laughs> has been successful with her money and, and Tony has as well so far in his life with his. And, and that's great. A lot of folks don't have a parent with money knowledge to rely on to ask questions or who's offering them advice proactively and they've got to start from scratch so even if we might slightly disagree with your mom here even if we don't like the specific route she's taking or wants you to take she still sounds pretty great (laughs) and it sounds like you have uh, you owe a lot of your success probably to to her influence totally and your argument though is largely what we'd say to your mom too do you actually need or want a bigger home it sounds like the answer is a big old negative based on what you're saying. And you said that you built your first home last year. So I'm guessing this is probably a home that you like a lot. So why why move if you're the one who picked out the layout and the appliances and the home is serving you well? I mean, you said last year, right? right. So, like it's a brand new house. Right. Like, I don't know why you would, <laughs> you would want to move. Why would you move out of why that? Why would you want to move after building essentially like a, a home to spec for right. you and your needs? Plus, moving sucks. And it sounds like Tony agrees moving is no fun, which I completely agree with. Uh, I hope to never move again just because I hate moving. Maybe we will at some point. We'll we'll forget (laughs) about the pains that moving uh, does to your family and how how hard it can be. But you just can't ignore the lifestyle factor. And it's it's not just about the numbers. So we like the idea of you staying put, even if your mom thinks you're making a mistake by doing that. That's right. But why don't we actually take a look at the numbers as well, Tony, because they actually make a pretty good argument for staying put as well. It's not just about what it is that you want to do, what you don't want to do. I think the numbers, they've got our back a little bit too. Uh, And first of all, You've got a 2.9% mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. Uh, Homebuyers today, like they literally can only dream of snagging a rate that low, including yourself, Tony, were you to, to, to move and buy a new place. Uh, but then secondly, you're 100% correct. The costs go up quite a bit when you upgrade home sizes. And so taxes, maintenance, the cost of furnishings, like you said, everything is going to end up costing you more. And this is money that might be better put to use, invested in the market, which is kind of your, that sounds like that's your plan. Uh, But then finally, let's actually crunch the numbers on appreciation. And so for instance, someone who bought a house back in 1974, they may have paid, let's say $60,000. Well, it's now going to be worth $350,000, which sounds amazing, Mm -hmm. right? Think about how much richer, how much wealthier I am because of that. That only equals an average return of just three and three quarters percent. Again, those additional expenses like taxes and maintenance, repairs, like that's going to bring that return down to less than two percent. And so that's a large number, right? Like you see 350 grand, you're like, oh, I'm loaded. <laughs> that seems like a massive gain on its face. It's easy to ignore those additional costs. I think a lot of times we become too emotionally attached to our homes. And because of that, we all think that our home is actually a better investment than it likely is. And not only the psychological, emotional impacts too, but just a lot of those costs are kind of like these soft, squishy costs. And we don't typically account for them in the same hard line fashion that we do when it comes to different like expense ratios with the fund, you can see, oh, sweet, 0.04% is the expense ratio. That's pretty cheap. We don't normally account for different upgrades and things uh, like the cost of maintenance to our homes. A lot of times we're just like, oh, that's just just something I got to pay. And folks aren't typically crunching it 
They're not running a full analysis on what the property has actually returned over the decades. Yeah. The new microwave, the new faucet, just because you like it, new artwork to hang up in that house, like all of those things, they just don't get factored in the same way. And so it's easy to, it's easier for us to like think of that home as a great investment when in reality, it's not nearly as good as, as we chalk it up to being. Yeah. You should see Joel's microwave. Right. It's very, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all right. It's all right. Well, but that in conjunction, right, with the fact that buying a bigger home isn't something that Tony necessarily wants to do. I think it makes not upgrading a wise choice. And those real estate transaction costs can be ridiculous too, Matt. That is always something that has to be factored in when we're talking about housing. Because when you're buying like a total stock market exchange-traded fund uh, or selling it, the fees are minimal to non-existent. That's right. Those real estate transaction costs can be ridiculous. Uh, there's a there's a massive difference between buying and selling your exchange traded fund, which comes with little to no cost at all. There's no friction to that transaction, and buying and selling a home, right? Uh, which yeah. is gonna it's gonna erase a decent chunk of your gains when you buy and sell when you flip houses. Yeah. Last I checked, I don't think there are any brokerages that charge six percent right. if you're looking to sell an ETF. Or... Right. And that's just literally kind of the the real estate commission, there's other costs involved in buying and selling homes too. And so your mom, she might think that she's made out like a bandit on her home's value. And she's, she probably hasn't gotten completely screwed over. It's probably not been a terrible investment, but it, is it the best investment she could have made? I don't know. Is she accounting for all of those additional costs? And anyone who bought their home, let's say three, five, or 10 years ago, they've done really well. I think it's important to mention that recent history, um, except for maybe the last six to 12 months, recent history has been kind to homeowners. Returns have been great, right? From 2019 to 2022, we saw something like 30% increases in the value of real estate. The returns have been better than normal when it comes to gains in housing value in, in recent years. But is that going to continue? Highly unlikely, right? And history shows us that real estate, on average, returns in the neighborhood of 4% annually. Stocks, on the other hand, offer a return of 10% annually. So when you're looking at history to kind of guide future decisions, it's not that past performance is completely indicative of future returns, but we have a long history when it comes to home prices in this country and a pretty long history of what it, what it looks like, what stock market returns look like in the country. And I think that can help us make an informed decision about what's going to happen in the future. That's right. Yeah. So one caveat. So. Uh, uh, Tony, instead of buying a bigger home, you could opt to buy another like similar sized home and then just keep this current one as a rental property. It, it sounds like your monthly expenses are pretty low, so it doesn't sound like it's like a ridiculously large mansion or, or something mm-hmm. like that. But so much does depend on what the numbers look like where you live, you know, whether or not you want the hassle that comes along with landlording. We talked about this in a recent episode, 647. But there are certain harsh realities of investing in real estate. But owning some solid rental properties, that certainly can help you to build wealth more quickly than investing in the market. But just getting a bigger house, that's going to need more upkeep that you don't even want. That doesn't really seem smart. And it's unlikely to offer you better returns than your current strategy. Yeah. And I think we might even have a slightly different take on this. If you weren't already saving and investing 58% of your income, that's, I mean, you're already crushing it. But while we don't love it, a, a huge swath of Americans have the vast majority of their net worth tied up in their primary residence. So for them, it could maybe kind of make sense as a forced means of savings, even if that's a suboptimal investing vehicle, you know, simply because it's better than flat out spending and consuming that money. Yes. But still, that's not the direction we would push people in. Hey, should I buy more house to build more wealth? It's like, no, that's typically not the best recipe (laughs) to get there. Right. But that's not what's going on in your life, Tony. So we're in agreement with you uh, that staying put is the simpler choice. And based on history, it'll likely be the more lucrative path to take as well. And so I think there's probably a a way to have a good discussion with your mom about your your choice uh, and to each their own, really. Like you don't have to convince your mom either. and, And it sounds like she's not convincing you to take her approach. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with us doing different things, coming to different conclusions. That's right. But but we're in your camp. We like your approach. That's right. And actually, on that note, we've got a question from a listener who has a real estate-related question. We'll get to that one. Plus, another one is from a listener, and she is wondering how she can impart some knowledge, some personal finance knowledge to her teenage daughter. We'll get to those, plus a couple others, right after this. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? 
Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at AARP.org slash wise friend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, we're back from the break. We're still taking listener questions. And Matt, the next question has to do about, like you talked about, helping a, a teenage daughter learn more about money and know the answer is not going to be TikTok. Hey, Matt and Joel. This is Michelle from St. Paul, Minnesota. I have a 17-year-old stepdaughter who is turning 18 this summer. We're hoping she graduates high school, but she's having a hard time finding her place in the world. She's not going to college, so the plan for her to get is to get a full-time job. And she is at least mentally prepared to move out the minute she turns 18. So we've tried to have the conversations with her about financing and budgeting and what that looks like when living on your own. But every time we start to have this discussion, she gets really overwhelmed and she shuts down. And frankly, the four parents um, aren't exactly her favorite people right now. So we're just having a really difficult time um, getting this conversation going. But we want the best for her and we want her to be as prepared as possible. So I was wondering if you have any recommendations on a good book for her. She does love reading, so I hope that this would be a good avenue for her. And so I'm looking for something that you know goes over the basics of living on your own for the first time, what that looks like financially, budgeting, what to expect you know, in your paycheck, stuff like that. Um, something that's easy to understand for a teenager and not too overwhelming and hopefully a little bit entertaining as well. So if you have any suggestions, that would be great. Thank you. Dude, being a teenager, it's got to be tough today. Actually, it's funny. I feel like I relate more to being a teenager, although I should be more... I should relate more to raising a teenager. <laughs> so, <laughs> Michelle, know. in your case... We're looking at that in-between phase, but... But much, much closer to actually... That's true. That's <laughs> raising true. a teenager. Well, it's amazing. I, than being one myself. We always, for some reason, we always think that we're younger than we are. And oh, yeah. Th- there's like a, a good Nate Bargatze joke in his latest special about that, about how <laughs> you're just hanging out with the 20-somethings and you're kicking it. And then somebody like two years older than you, like, we're, you know, we're in our late 30s, early 40s. And, and somebody like a couple years older than you and you're like, man, what you doing around here, old man? And it's, it's so true. Like I identify, I think of myself. Consistently identify with people who are at least 10 years younger yeah, than you. Yeah, being younger than I am. Than you are. But, but I ain't no spring chicken. <laughs> uh, so Michelle, 
I wanted to address her graduating high school because I hope that she's able to get that high school degree uh, because, you know, oftentimes here on the show, we'll knock higher education. The fact remains that the median lifetime earnings are significantly impacted by the level of education that someone's able to attain. So today, the, the median lifetime earnings for someone who doesn't complete high school is $1.2 million. Someone might be listening and they're thinking, that sounds like a lot of money, but no, this is over an entire working, working lifetime. Career, yeah. That does not add up to much over a 40-year career. Exactly. Whereas even a high school graduate is going to earn significantly more than that. They're going to earn $1.6 million. That's a $400,000 difference just based purely on a free education that's provided by the state. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not free. I guess you're paying for it. Tax dollars. Uh, yeah. <laughs> through taxes, through property taxes. And there's actually an even bigger chasm once you start throwing college into the mix. Bachelor degree holders, they earn a median of $2.8 million over their lifetime. So we just wanted to highlight that, that the, yes, we don't want you to necessarily go into debt in order to achieve higher degrees, but it does have a significant impact on what you're able to, to earn uh, during your working career. Uh, and also, you, you kind of mentioned that she may not be on the path for college. I think a way that you can potentially reframe that is think of it possibly as a gap year. And that right there could actually, that, that might be the perfect thing for her. Because uh, I don't think we need to, to think of that as a failure to launch per se. And hopefully she gets that high school diploma. But waiting before just automatically going straight to college like that could be the best possible thing for her as she's able to just gather a bunch of different life experiences where she's able to work an hourly job where she's uh, where she is fully supporting herself where she can ask herself some of the bigger life questions and uh, i think that could honestly just go a really long ways i think gap years are underrated and it makes you think like so my wife emily is in school graduate school to become a therapist and she's talked about how like there's nothing wrong with some of these other people in her class going straight out of college into getting their advanced degree. But there's a perspective that she has after having been in the world for a little bit longer and having, uh, you know, taken some classes here and there and taking some time off. And, and I think that perspective can actually make the experience of going, getting that degree in a lot of instances, I think it can make it more impactful. So yeah. Well, not only that though, in addition to that, I think I would even say that the folks who are there in class with her, who have come straight out of school and are looking to get, uh, to be a licensed therapist that they're actually take they're like they're taking the the smarter approach to higher education like i especially feel for those who are studying they've history. got more time to maximize the benefits of it financially yeah yeah but so much of it just depends on the degree that you're getting and what that can then parlay into mm-hmm. and when you're spending a ton of money on something that is not that transferable when it comes to different life skills. I I especially feel for those folks. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're right. So much of it does depend on the actual course of study and how much you spend to get that degree, because the less you spend, the the more potential ROI. And, and the more in-demand degree that you get, the more it's going to likely lead to those higher earnings over your lifetime. And honestly, Michelle's daughter could potentially end up in a much better financial situation five years from now than someone who just defaults into this very expensive private college or something like that, who amasses something like six figures of student loan debt that they have to make payments on for decades to come. That's why so many people find themselves such a devastating personal finance conundrum when in, in their own lives. And so much comes down to student loan debt. And the fact that many people haven't questioned how much they're taking on before they sign up to get that degree. That's right. And so, yeah, I think this is a good time to mention that even though the decision she's making right now may not be the steps that you would take, Michelle, and I get that, it's probably important for her own personal development and independence to be able to make these choices and to do things differently. And her plans, they may not pan out like she's expecting them to, but it's probably better that she make an attempt and learn some important life lessons when she's you know, 18, 19, 20, uh, rather than learning some of those things at the age of 30. And I know it's easier said than done. We don't have teenage kiddos yet, but letting our kids fail is an important aspect of letting our kids grow up. Yeah. It's better for them to fail with like one or two zeros at the end of the number rather than like three or four. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and when we're still kind of there to be able to lend a helping hand and offer advice when they still listen to us. And once you you hit 25, 30, a lot of that, some of that connection is gone. Exactly. Yeah. And this is coming from a couple of dads who both have nine-year-olds. And so I I think it's going to be... So it's one thing to have them fail at something like a purchase that they're making where they're like, oh, like our oldest daughter, she just bought a backpack. And we talked with her about it and we're like, hey, do you want to wait until there's a sale? Hey, if you wait until this fall, we'll completely cover the cost because we'll count that as like back to school kind of uh, expenses that, that we would naturally incur. 
And she thought about it for a couple of weeks and was just like, no, I think I'm ready to buy my own backpack. So she ended up paying full price. I think we got a coupon or whatever. But at least we pointed her to L.L. Bean because they've yeah. got that good warranty. Uh-huh. Uh, but she... It, it's it's one of those things where I'm just like, well, you could have waited and we would have covered it. But she wanted what she wanted. And hopefully for her, it was totally worth it. But if it wasn't worth it, I would rather her learn that lesson with a backpack than with a college education yeah. that she hadn't really thought through or with a car or a home. Those are the lessons that at least now having younger kids are easier to absorb and to watch our kids work their way through. I've got to think that it's tougher, at, you know, once you're sure. in your late teens and in, in, in your 20s. The stakes are higher. You want the best for your kids. <laughs> exactly. But at times, like you have to let them screw up. I know. It's yeah. really, it's easier said than done, though. It's really, really hard. Absolutely. But, but Michelle, I mean, as long as you, your daughter knows that y'all are there to support her and that she has a way, you know, someone to kind of come back to, that you've got her back. I think that's super important. But enough about parenting <laughs> <laughs> onto the books, Michelle, which was your actual question. And, you know, I think the normal books that we might typically recommend, they're probably not going to be ideal for someone your daughter's age. We're a little nerdier. And so, like, something like The Simple Path to Wealth is something that comes to mind, or The Psychology of Money, like, those are two of our favorites. They may not be right for your daughter, though, <laughs> in the stage of life that she's in. Maybe mid to late 20s or something, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on the kid, too, right? But we just definitely don't want her getting turned off by the world of personal finance just because she falls asleep every night reading something that's just way too nerdy. But there are some great books out there aimed at teenagers. And friend of the show, Erin Lowry, she wrote a book called Broke Millennial a few years back. And it just has a ton of practical, helpful advice, along with a little bit of narrative there uh, where you're kind of in her shoes and she infuses a little bit of sass, a little bit of humor, which I think will help your daughter to digest the information a little bit better. Essentially, she's trying to she created a casual personal finance book, which honestly, that's a lot of what we try to do here on our show as well. We're we're trying to trick you into learning more personal finance nuggets of wisdom than you originally thought you were signing up for. Yeah, it's like, kind of it's kind of like sli- like hiding the peas uh, in the mashed potatoes. Or, <laughs> right? Did you ever do that? Uh, <laughs> no, no, but I, it probably would have worked, right? Like I did, wasn't into vegetables when I was a kid. Uh, I was actually just hanging out with my uncle. He hates all vegetables, <laughs> and I ragged him on it quite a bit. I've kind of come around on a lot of the vegetables, not all of them, but yeah, we were, we were talking about this recently. <laughs> French fries don't count, Joel. He was well, no, nah, come on, I eat other vegetables. He was like, I only eat corn and potatoes. I was like, I don't even know if either of those are really considered vegetables. I guess they are technically, but tubers and corn and fruit. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> right. Like my kids come home from school and they're like, Daddy, did you know that this, you thought it was a vegetable, but it's technically a fruit. And I feel like they're starting to learn more than I actually know. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting to that point, man. It's so weird. It's like, did I not pay attention enough in school? But yeah, I, I think uh, Broke Millennial is a great is a great resource, a great bur- uh, book worth considering for her. Also, like if you want something even more heavy in the financial independence direction, there's a book called First to a Million, and that's a really good resource too. And the author, Dan Sheeks, he is, was like a high school business teacher in Denver, Colorado. And uh, you know he talks about, even in that book, he talks about the pros and cons of college, which is probably really helpful for someone in her position, kind yeah. of starting to debate the merits of that. And you know it sounds like college might not be up her alley, and that's okay. But channeling that instinct in a focused direction towards entrepreneurship and developing a healthy savings rate instead of just like college aversion could be the the inspiration she needs not to just opt out of college altogether, but to pursue something like financial independence with a purpose, you know, that resonates with her goals. And so I think both of those books would be, would be good places for her to start. Yeah. And Michelle, actually, we're going to send you a copy of First to a Million. And so you can expect an email from us. And so hopefully these books, these recommendations will pique her interest, no matter what specific path she ends up taking, that she'll hopefully have the knowledge and the confidence to make smart money choices for decades to come. Joel, let's get to our next question. Uh, This one has to do with real estate. It has to do with an IRS change that was announced last year. Let's get to that one. Hi, Joel and Matt. My name's Christina and I'm from California. I've been listening to your podcast and was surprised to hear that PayPal is going to start automatically generating 1099s. I have a rental property and my tenant uses PayPal to make monthly rent payments. I'm already reporting this income to my tax repair, but I can imagine that this might cause some extra trouble. Do you have a recommendation for platforms that I can use to receive rental payments electronically? Thank you guys for all that you do. Christina, thanks for your question. And Matt, Christina is a landlord in California. That 
is nice. tough sledding, right? Oh, uh, yeah. And, and it must mean that she's completely loaded, that she's uh, Warren Buffett levels of rich because <laughs> buying rental properties, especially in, in many parts of California, is not an easy endeavor. And it's also, it's not the most landlord-friendly state. Everything just seems to cost more in California. And it's not always made up for in what you're able to charge in rent. Uh, property costs Even are, though rents in California are the, they're higher. the highest. In the, I think it used to be Hawaii, but then folks were like, no, 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 we don't like Hawaii anymore. <laughs> California is where it's at. Yeah. I mean, it's just an expensive place. And so great job for Christina on her ability to save up enough to purchase an investment property there. And I hope it's been good to her. And like we mentioned earlier, they can really be a foundational building block in achieving your financial goals. That's why we talked about it, what, just uh, a week and a half ago. We really do want more people to consider buying rental properties, even if right now is not necessarily like opportune time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, and also life gets a bit more complicated when you're managing a property. And so let's kind of quick, quickly mention what's been going on with those 1099 forms, Christina. Uh, so the IRS, they had announced that financial platforms that allow their users to send and receive money, that they're going to have to issue a 1099K if that amount was in excess of $600. And that was $600 total, it, not like per transaction, but cumulative. And this is going to impact everyone from like folks who are on Etsy to folks who drive for Uber to folks who use a cash app. Which is like but, almost everyone now. Like yeah. That's how we transfer money back and forth <laughs> exactly. to each other as human beings. But that's changed. Now that's not going to go until, uh, into effect until next year when you're filing your 2023 tax returns. So originally this change was to take effect for 2022, but it seems that after some pushback, the IRS, they relented and they're given the platforms another year to prepare, which I think was probably a good call. Yeah, and it could be potentially, I could see uh, Congress coming together and maybe upping the cap on that and just kind of changing the rules, which we will discuss on here if that happens. But either way, like this really, it shouldn't impact you and your taxes since you were already reporting this income like you'd mentioned. But there are a couple reasons why you might not want to continue using PayPal to collect rent. And technically, it's because they classify rent payments as goods and services, which means they want to take a cut, eating into your profits. And so you're paying for uh, ability to operate as a business but unfortunately, you're not offered any of the benefits because there's no payment protection associated with real estate transactions. And this isn't the case for PayPal, but for some other apps like Venmo and Zelle, you can also run into problems because you can't deny a partial rent payment. And so the laws vary from state to state, but this means that the eviction process could be stopped by just a small payment. Like even if it's just $100 on that $2,500 rent amount mm -hmm. that's due, that could prohibit you from being able to get started in removing a tenant, even if they're destroying your property or not paying rent on time. That's right. Basically, these different platforms, these different apps that a lot of folks use, they're just not set up. They weren't created to serve as rent collecting platforms for landlords. But that doesn't mean that there aren't a ton of landlords out there who are collecting rent via PayPal or, or other apps. So it just kind of depends on your situation. It, I, mean, I think it depends on the number of properties you have and honestly, the kind of relationship that you have with your tenants as well. But let's get to your question. If you're looking to have everything just really buttoned up, come first of the month when rent is due, well then Avail and Inago, they're both great options that are free. Rent Ready is worth looking at as well, but they all make it really easy to collect payments. They have lines of communication built into the apps and platforms where you can basically, where they can let you know if like, hey, there's a maintenance issue. Uh, they, you, you can even screen potential tenants as well via these different platforms. And while their basic features are all free, uh, they are looking to be sort of like these like one-stop shops for landlords. And if uh, you're looking to take advantage of some of those more premium offerings, they do charge for some of those features. Uh, but even still, like you're only looking at something around $2 per, like what they typically charge for is for the uh, ACH transfer fee. And the landlord can choose to eat some of that or pass it on to the tenant exactly. typically, right? Yeah. And so, but even still, you're only looking, it's like $2 for Inago, it's $5 a month for Avail, but that also gives you- I think you, Rent Ready is $1. It's so, like, yeah. but they give you the like access to all of these different features as well. Uh, and so it's like, yeah, if you're looking at paying two or even 3% on the overall transaction amount, that's what would happen if you are properly categorized as a goods and service, which these some of the different payment apps want you to do. If you're doing that, you're paying way more than $1 to $5 yeah. <laughs> a month. And, these, and, these and you're services, not getting all of these additional features as well. Yeah, these services come with a whole lot more optionality for exactly. landlords. And, and especially if you want to kind of increase your level of 
business-like uh, attention to your to your properties, you know, being able to communicate directly with your tenant and have them fill out like uh, an actual like official request form for maintenance instead of like texting you, which can be awkward. And like, I think if you just want to professionalize your yeah. rental property business, some of these platforms can make a lot of sense. So look at the fees, check out all three. We'll link to them in the show notes so you can kind of compare the pros and cons, see what sort of features will make the most difference for you and how you manage properties. But I think, yeah, those are all really good options for you to consider. And then, yeah, start having your, your tenant. It gives your tenant more options too. Uh, lots of times they can even pay with a credit card they're going to pay a fee to pay with the credit card, but it gives them another option. And yeah. I think it just like, like I said, professionalizes everything, which can be a nice thing for a lot of landlords who are looking to kind of keep that communication, like put a little firewall up between kind of their personal and, and business lives. Exactly. And, well, and, and some of them have the ability to report to the different credit bureaus as well. And so there's a higher level of accountability when it comes to some of those late payments. Yeah. I really like that as well. Uh-huh. So, yeah. For All sure. things to keep in mind, Christina. But again, going back to the, the whole IRS reporting thing, that's not going to affect you at all. Since like you said, you were already doing all the things that you were supposed to and you were already reporting that income. Mm-hmm. But Joel, we've got a couple more questions to get to, including uh, we're going to cover an app that has the potential to save everybody out there money. We'll get to that plus another right after this. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wise friend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we're back. We're going to get to that money-saving app, and we'll talk about just how much money could potentially save you in just a second. But first, let's get to a question about health insurance. Hey, Joel and Matt. This is Spencer in Chicago. I have a question about health insurance. 
My family's on a high deductible health insurance plan through my current employer, and we've racked up several thousand dollars in fees towards our deductible already this year due to some unexpected circumstances. Thankfully, everyone's okay, and because I've listened to you, we have plenty saved up to cover the expenses. However, I'm going to be starting a new job next month and will need to enroll in a new plan. So is there any way that I can carry the amount I've paid towards my current deductible over to a new plan? Or is there anything else I should consider or keep in mind when selecting a new health insurance plan for my family that will minimize the total amount I spend on medical costs this year? Thanks, guys, and thank you for producing such a great podcast. Spencer, first off, man, sorry to hear about the health woes that your family has had this year. That's tough, uh, but I'm glad to hear that everyone's doing okay now. And I do want to mention, Matt, I think Spencer's got kind of close to the right mindset when it comes to thinking about healthcare costs. He talks about uh, minimizing his healthcare expenses for the current year. I think it's a really good way of thinking about it, but I, I think we're also, we, we should be thinking about minimizing our healthcare costs over the long haul, right? And so it's actually hard to nail this equation each and every year and pay the lowest amount possible. So we're doing our best over the span of a number of years to really minimize healthcare costs. And hopefully we can help Spencer think through that framework, how to minimize those healthcare costs across a number of years instead of just a, a single given year. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what's so difficult about this, right? Is that you might have always had a healthy family. Like you may have not had any issues with your health. And so we're all just making the best possible guess we can when it yeah. comes to the, the different expenses that we're going to incur. Granted, it's more yeah. art than science. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think, honestly, that's that can be really tough for folks when it comes to their finances because we all, or at least us nerdier types, want to optimize every single dollar. And so why spend additional money towards this feature that you're never going to use, mm -hmm. but you might use or they, it. <laughs> yeah, you're hoping not to use, right? And ideally, you wouldn't. But then a Spencer fan out, like, you, you don't always have full control over it. Exactly. But Spencer, we are glad to hear that you were able to save up for those expenses. I think that's such a key point. You need to have, uh, whether it's an ally banking savings bucket or a savings category is what we call it in our households, but you need to account for those medical out-of-pocket costs that even if you have the pot, well, I guess the poshest plans, you don't pay anything, even those co-pays. But for the rest of us peasants, those like, <laughs> like myself, like you're paying for everything. And so, yeah. I mean, literally, it's a it's a month it's a recurring expense that we have. We are like the opposite. Uh, you, your family and my family, the opposite of like Lexus level health care oh, plans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like the jalopy mode <laughs> of health sharing plans. Basically, it's not platinum or gold. It's no. like paper and yarn <laughs> right. series. Or bronze, would, <laughs> bronze would be eight steps up from where we are. It's, but, like, which, it's like lead. It actually makes us sicker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> which, which just really means that you and I, we have to be even more vigilant when it comes to self-insuring. Exactly. And that's one of the things that, that Spencer really has to think about here, too. Yeah. So he's got a high deductible healthcare plan. And like typically those are great choices. Like that's a great option for folks out there who are mostly healthy and who can self-insure. And Spencer, it sounds like your family seems or you maybe used to fit that bill, despite maybe these recent sort of unexpected healthcare expenses that you've incurred. But yeah, being on the high deductible plans, of course, that allows you to then sock money into an HSA, a health savings account, which is one of our favorite retirement accounts out there. Uh, so don't forget about that. There is no other account that has a triple or even quadruple tax advantage, mm -hmm. depending on if this is a plan that's offered through your employer. But that being said, don't let the, the, the tail wag the dog here on this one, right? Like you mentioned, you want to get the lowest total out-of-pocket costs for healthcare. Uh, that's a very good goal, but you don't want to overly focus on retirement thinking, well, I've got to score the ability to sock away. I don't even know how much money actually that you can set aside into an HSA. I believe a year. family can do $8,350. I think so. But by going with that HSA, by going with a high deductible plan, if that means that you are spending even more than that on healthcare expenses over the course of the year, then it might make sense for you to consider a plan where you are paying more month to month on premiums, but that ultimately means that you're going to be able to save money over the long haul. Yeah, that's covering more of the doctor's visits, more of the medical bills you would incur. That's just basically lowering the overall cost of your medical care. Yeah. It's well, like the, well, you're paying for those precious metal plans. Right, <laughs> right exactly. And if that means because you're seeing the doctor often enough that it's going to mean the most overall money saved, that's a better choice for you, even though it means you miss out on the HSA. And by the way, I looked it up, Matt. I was I was way off. Not 8350. I thought it was 7750. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's not too far off. Not too far off. But just want to make sure people have 
the right information. But it, it, you know, one of the things Spencer asked was what happens when you switch medical plans in the middle of the year? And sadly, there's not really good news on that front because the money that you've paid towards your deductible is not transferable. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're sorry to be the bearer of bad news here, Spencer. What's going to happen? He's going to be signing up for a brand new plan at his new place uh, of employment. And that means he's going to be starting from, from scratch on the deductible front. So yeah, hopefully this new job pays more money, right? Bigger salary for Spencer. I sure hope that's the case. And they might even subsidize more of those premiums at, at a higher level, which would be great too. So instead of paying 450 a month for health insurance for the family, maybe you're paying 275. That'd be great. Uh, but the brand new deductible thing is just kind of the reality of switching jobs in the middle of the year. You're, you're going to have a, a new threshold that you got to meet and there's really no way around it. That's right. Yeah. But again, Spencer, it sounds like you're on the right path. You know, if there are meaningful follow-up appointments coming up because of those recent health concerns, you might want to avoid the high deductible health care plan in favor of a plan that pays a bigger portion towards those bills that you're likely to incur uh, or at the very least try to squeeze in a bunch of like all your follow-ups before (laughs) before you switch yeah before you leave your employer before your current insurance runs out but if you don't foresee a lot more medical bills coming your way then you know sticking with that high deductible plan is likely still going to be your best bet it's not foolproof as you found out uh, but more years than not i think healthy folks with healthy savings will find that it is their best bet for sure all right matt let's get to a question about a money saving app and whether or not it's worth this listener's time Hi, Joel. Hi, Matt. This is Julie from Michigan. I have a question about the Upside app. A friend brought that to my attention, and it almost sounds too good to be true. And I wonder if you've heard anything about that or know about the Upside app. Please let me know what you think. Thank you. All right, Julie, it is not too good to be true. No no downside to Upside. (laughs) Actually, they're, they're, there's like some very, very small, minor <laughs> we'll downsides. Get into those. We'll get into those. Uh, but these, you know, different money-saving apps certainly can be worth the time and the effort, and that is what they require. Uh, but they're all just built a little differently, and folks like various options and offerings out there, just often based on how it is that they shop and you know what it is that they consider to be painful, depending on what their threshold is to participate in some of those different offerings, like it. So it makes me think about coupons and in a previous, like in some sort of alter alternate world, somebody might think, so you're telling me if I take this little piece of paper and I show up at the store, I'm going to get $3 off this particular item. What's the catch? Who wouldn't do this? You it's, know, it's yeah. like, well, no, there's, there's no catch. That's how a coupon works. When well, you remember, like, I don't know. But it? is it worth the time and effort that it takes right. to sort through the, you know, all the, the, the circular and to find the coupons and the products that you actually want to buy? Was it like 10 years ago when the hyper coupon crazies were getting like Today Show features and stuff like that? <laughs> and it was just interesting to see the people that were obsessed with couponing, how much they could save. But then they had to have like spare rooms dedicated to all the extra stuff they were they were able to buy because you, to get the deal you had to buy four <laughs> or right, like right. so they had like so much laundry detergent and 18 ketchups and all that stuff and so yeah it just comes to how many hoops do you want to jump through exactly. to save money as part yep. of it but sometimes the threshold is really low like my uncle hates to mobile deposit checks and i'm like who hates to mobile de-? like that's one of the best things that technology has brought us you don't it, like the convenience of sitting there at right. your your kitchen table while <laughs> sipping a beer and just snapping a photo of a two check. pictures that's oh all it takes gosh. so i'm trying to convince my uncle while he was here like it's not really that big of a deal and you should totally jump on this bandwagon but he's probably thinking it'll pass he's driving to the bank <laughs> but we all have different different hassle maybe he, thresholds yeah, maybe so. he's got a great relationship with a local credit union and if that's the case then more power to him i'm no, all about that that's not the what what's happening sad but <laughs> <laughs> well, you know better than I do. Well, let's talk about the app that Julie is considering in particular. And it sounds like you're digging what Upside is offering. And so we would say take advantage of the savings. For instance, Matt, I was out really doing some digging on this app. And I've known about it, but I haven't really downloaded it and tried to play with it to see how much I could save. And when Julie's question popped up, I was like, I, I need you know some firsthand experience. And the, the racetrack gas station near me mm-hmm. was offering 51 cents a gallon discount on Upside this week. And this this, that made the price a, a lot lower than even just Costco's price on gas, and this gas station was closer. So I felt um, that's a great deal, and there's not much you have to do to get the savings. That's right. So much of whether this app is going to make sense for you or not, though, 
depends on where you live and what offers are available. So yeah, some one person might find upside to be a treasure trove of savings on things they would have already purchased at grocery stores or at gas stations that they're like, I visit that every week already. And so why not take, take the additional savings? But really, I think for most folks, it's worth checking out because the only thing you stand to lose is a couple of minutes looking around to see what deals are available. And if you're like, eh, slim pickings, you know, in my neck of the woods, just delete it off your off your phone. But if you say, wait a second, <laughs> there's like substantial savings to be had just in, in a very close vicinity around my house, then boom, take advantage of those discounts. That's true. Yeah. But not all gas station deals are offering the kind of discounts that you saw, right? Like That's at, true. Your, at your local gas station there. Um, like you might only find a discount of... 10 or 20 cents a gallon. Uh, and if that's the case, the quote unquote deal, right? Like that still might not be the best price in your area. In that case, you might actually find yourself driving further just to save a buck or two. But I will say upside, they offer more than just deals at gas stations though, right? Like maybe you don't drive a whole lot and you're thinking, all right, I'm about to end this episode maybe a little sooner. <laughs> or you got an Forget EV. the beer. You got an EV. You're like, I just plug in guys. <laughs> exactly. I, don't, I don't need to go to racetrack. Uh, you might find some decent discounts for shopping at a grocery grocery store in your area and not just at grocery stores, restaurants as well. You might get something like a 6% ish discount at one of your favorite local restaurants as well. We're flipping around on there and saw that uh, there's a pizza place and they're offering 20% cash back. That's, that, that's a really good deal. Like yeah. I would almost consider pretty much any local restaurant if they're offering like a 20% coupon. I know. I don't know. It, it's a great incentive. I feel like I'm falling into the coupon trap now. Like, <laughs> like any 20% coupon that shows up in my mailbox, would I go there? Nah, I don't. Yeah, maybe. Depends on, on the reviews, what the normal menu prices are and kind of, but I think it's, a, it's if you are interested in checking out new places or if you find some of your favorite normal places where you're just going to walk out with that's true. You know, paying less money, then it seems like it's worth it least digging in to see what sort of discounts are available where you live. And in particular, they make it so easy, right? And so I think that's one of the things I like about the app is the ability to comparison shop and specifically with with the price of gas. If you can sit on there, flip around and see what the discount is at different local gas stations, here's one downside is that not all gas stations, not all retailers participate, right? Mm -hmm. And so the absolute cheapest gas station may not actually even be on there. But guess what? There's another app for that. Hop over to Gas Buddy and see what folks are reporting, and you can easily compare apples to oranges. And by including that information that you get from Upside, all of a sudden it's apples to apples, yeah. and you can make an informed decision. So, like I said, I like, really like that. That racetrack discount was like 50, 51 cents, but based on the price that racetrack normally charges for gas, I don't know, they're probably 15 to 20 cents higher than Costco, but that brought it something like 30 cents below what Costco charges. So, uh, But then there was another gas station offering 50, 50 cents off, but it would have still been cheaper to, to get the <laughs> gas at, at Costco yeah. than to go to that gas station, even with that discount. So you have to be a smart shopper and don't just assume because there's a deal on this app that it means it's actually a deal, Yep. but it's still worth looking into. And so, so that's what Upside is in the business of. They're, yeah. they're in the business of directing and corralling your dollars and pointing them towards certain retailers, gas stations and yeah. retailers who have joined with them because that's how they make their money. They yeah. get a, they get a small cut of the dollars that you spend at those different retailers if they can prove that they brought you there. Sure, essentially, and so, savvy yeah. consumers can use this to their advantage, and not great consumers can use this as a way to pay more actually for things <laughs> that they otherwise would have bought, or or even just going out to get a meal at a place where they would normally that they would normally avoid. Sure, and, and I think it's important to mention too that you can't cash out the accrued discount dollars until you've reached the $10 threshold. And there can even be fees if you try to cash out before you get to, I think, something like $15 in your account. So it's worth noting that. Although there isn't a monthly charge for the Upside app. So there's really not a major downside to checking it out, giving it a shot. But yep. it, the, the other thing to, that's worth noting is that you're not going to get rich using an app like this either. No. Uh, yeah. it, <laughs> you know, it's free. And if it allows you to save an extra chunk of money every time you fill up or when you're grabbing a burrito at your favorite Mexican place or something like that, that you would have grabbed anyway. Like, why not? You know, why not get the extra savings? Sure. I think it's great. And you might even find out about deals that were you otherwise didn't know about, kind of like I did. So yeah. um, I think for Julie, it makes sense. Use the Upside app. It sounds like she was really excited about it. And, and I get that. As I was digging around, I was like, man, I, it's pretty cool. I spent a lot of time here and save some as, money if I was really, you know, really gung-ho about it. As long as it doesn't cause you to spend more than you normally would, yeah. right? Like, that's the big question. If it is causing you to consume in ways that you otherwise wouldn't. And it's one thing.
thing to have variety in your life, but if it's causing you to consume more, like you're talking about with the coupons earlier, if it means that you've got 14 bottles of ketchup now at your house, well, that's that's a little bit more of a problem than just getting a deal on one or two bottles. Unless you're a family of 20 and you guys <laughs> love ketchup. <laughs> but Julie, yeah, best of luck to you. Joel, let's shift gears and get back to the beer that you and I enjoyed during this episode. This one is called So Happens It's Tuesday. This is a bourbon barrel aged imperial stout. What were your thoughts? All right, I wrote down a few words. Beastly, robust, boozy. There were some dark fruit vibes going on. This was definitely an interesting stout specimen. And so, yeah, I mean, it's also 15 plus percent, so I tried not to drink too much of it, but it was delightful. Like, I'm used to great beers from the brewery, and they, they do great on the sours. They do great on the stouts in particular. And this was like one of the best stouts I've had from them. It was delicious. It made me realize that I don't think I had enough bourbon barrel aged beers this past winter, in particular stouts, because they just add so much additional flavor. Mm-hmm. Of course, the bourbon notes that you get uh, with this particular beer, but it's just loaded, packed, chock full of flavor. Uh, I definitely picked up notes of dark chocolate, but then just also the oaky notes, like the oaky vanilla notes that came through, again, I think due to the, the bourbon barrels that this thing was mm-hmm. aged in, made it fantastic. Glad you and I got to enjoy this. This is one that's technically illegal here in Georgia. Man. You, can, you can't even buy this beer <laughs> that's right. here locally. Because can we drink our, it, though? Are we going to get arrested here? I don't think anybody's okay. going to bust, like, bust down our the door to our little clubhouse <laughs> here as we're <laughs> recording our money episode. The F- FBI raid <laughs> is about to is about to happen. Or I guess GBI. I don't GBI, know. ATF. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming for us. Do they now. have their own branch? I don't know. Uh, but that's going to be it for this specific episode. We'll make sure to link to any of the resources that we mentioned during this episode. And you can find those up in our show notes on the website at howtomoney.com. That's right. All right, Matt. Until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.